the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I'm always going to work hard to get you some good ideas and thoughts. If you listen to the show for 15 minutes, I want to think you're going to walk away with one nugget of financial information. Whether it's, it's a great nugget or not, it depends on the day. I get it. My commute's a good hour each way sometimes, so I get the value of it. Like, your time is worth something to me. So I try to do my very, very best. Uh, one of the areas that I want to talk about is that when I was growing up, when my brother David was growing up, he's good 8, 10 years older than me. There was like people would prep for nuclear bombs still. They would get under their desks in case of nuke hit, which is pretty funny. Telling me that our government wasn't really being honest with what we should be doing. But they were building up kind of a propaganda machine that Russians were bad and they're going to nuke us one day and we'll be safe because we're smarter than they are and going to hide under our chairs. So I kind of grew up in a world where, you know, my brother David knew about Kennedy and Khrushchev and like uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff like that. My middle name came from one of the presidents of the United States. I have the world's worst middle name. Francis. So Kennedy was John Franklin Kennedy, but his Christian name was Francis. Or something like that. And then Bobby Kennedy, you could see that that's how I got Robert. Right? So my family loved the Kennedys. And there was a moment in time when uh, they were shot, or he was shot, and my parents were eating hot dogs. They were in Germany. They never, ever ate a hot dog again. That's how traumatic it was. We all remember where we were when 9-11 happened. We all re- that was a moment for a different generation, right? So the Cold War, U.S. against Russia... Reagan going, tear that wall down. You know where the Cold War is now? It's U.S. and China and technology. And it's it's for real. Um, the importance of 5G, the importance of intellectual property, the importance of, um, you know, TikTok app versus Facebook app. I'm like, what is the TikTok app? 
So I have to find this stuff out for you so that I can give you good advice and get good insight. I look at things as a Cold War, and we have, the U.S. has an advantage right now in intellectual property and technology. We are still the world power, and China's still copying us, whether it's companies like Flex or Broadcom, Qualcomm, Micron, Intel, Corvo. Uh, we kind of rock it. But the Cold War is there. And I bring that up in large part because I'm going to try to teach you a little bit more about tech. Here's how you can become a good tech company. It's not about the best tech. <laughs> right? Let's test number 12 one more time. Right? It's not about the tech. Right? Right? Thank you. Good. Thank you. I, I've got a tick. <laughs> I don't have a talk. I got a tick. So here's how you can become the best tech company. Um, technological barriers, superiority is not relevant. It's irrelevant. It's less than relevant. It's irrelevant. The benefits that technological superior give you, it basically is fleeting. Better technology is not a sustainable competitive advantage. Technology tends to, now again, we're into kind of like technology 2.0 with social media. But if you talk about technology in Silicon Valley, you tend to talk about smaller, cheaper, faster. So the fact that computers went from 4,000 to 3,500 to 3,000, 2,500 to 2,000, 1,500 to 500, smaller, cheaper, faster, because the, the semiconductors got faster, they got cheaper. And how does this all work? How do you evaluate a tech company? You should have some questions written down for every type of company you buy. And one of the ones of, of them is the network effect. Is a product becomes more valuable the more people use it. Adobe is the standard for electronic publishing. Facebook is the standard for putting up ugly pictures of your children. Microsoft owned the market for PC until kind of Google came along and said, you know what, we can do an operating system for free. We'll throw Chrome on any computer. And while we're at it, we'll put our maps on. And we're going to suck a lot of data out of you because it's all free. And then we're going to reuse that data from you. And if it gets caught up in a breach, we'll say sorry. Sorry. Gilly from Saturday Night Live. Sorry. One of my favorite characters of Saturday Night Live, for the record. Um, and I am a Saturday Night Live kid. It's again my generation. We grew up and, you know, you'd, you'd beg mom and dad to stay up. They'd say no. So you just turn on the, the TV really quietly and watch it while they were sleeping. But the network effect is super powerful. So can you get your product in everyone's hand, right? Or do you go in more of a niche thing? Like Snap is really about millennials in theory, but that's not a business model in of itself. There's a high switching cost. That's another thing that you're looking for in technology. If you've been trained on Adobe Photoshop and you have to go use something else, good luck to you. That curve is expensive. Um, I've got... I could do a better Excel spreadsheet than anyone else on this planet. I think if there was an Excel spreadsheet for Olympics, I would dominate it. For me to learn anything else, I'm sticking with Microsoft, baby. I've put my time in. Right? And I, if I just called you baby and you were offended by that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because nobody backs baby into a corner. Time is money, as the Alan Olson commercial says again and again and again for the last seven years. But time is money, Right? So relearning things is expensive. For Oracle, their power in the 90s and, and early 2000s was that their database was installed. And to gut it out, you lost everything. And it was expensive to put something new in. That was the power of it. It wasn't the best in the world. There was other companies like Informix, um, PeopleSoft. There was other companies that were doing Siebel systems. 
um, that were doing just as good stuff. One of those companies, not a networking, not a database company. <laughs> My mind's losing it. So you're looking for a network effect. Can you get the product in everyone's hand? Then you're looking for the high switching costs. Because once you're entrenched, you can ride this puppy for many, many years. Then you're looking for economies of scale. Intel probably doesn't make the best semiconductor in the world. But they can make the most of them. And when you can make the most of them, you can say, well, we're going to buy a lot of silicon from you. And uh, we like to buy 10 million pounds. And we're going to put it in these ovens over at Blood Materials. And they're going to bake it into a semiconductor. Not very many people can have that expensive of a, a model put into place where they can start spreading fixed costs. Spreading fixed costs is the dominant way to, to kick butt in your industry. Because then you can like, cheat in marketing. You can cheat in research. Intel, remember the whole ad campaign, Intel Inside? And it would go, do, 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 do. They did that because they could make millions and millions of them. Economies of scale, the network effect, high switching costs. Then you're looking for a cost advantage. Um, cost advantage can be easily explained of, you know, do you have to go to a mall to buy it or can you do a direct order on the internet? Amazon has a cost advantage because they don't have physical stores. Now they're starting to have physical stores and it makes me crazy. Before they're like, you want something? We'll send it to you from a warehouse. You don't even have to get off your butt. You just sit on your couch and uh, we'll bring it to you. Grubhub, we'll bring you food to Like everyone will bring it to you, right? Cost advantages. If you can figure out a way to not pay retail space in rent, you're, you're pretty good. And then you're looking for intellectual property. Qualcomm has so many patents. Apple has so many patents. Eh, some of them, times they get abused. Sometimes they're like silly patents. Like, we're going to come up with a communication device. Like, that should go to Star Trek. Star Trek should own the intellectual property on all cell phones, right? With a communicator. It doesn't quite work like that. But those are the five things you're looking for in a tech company. Intellectual property, cost advantage, economies of scale, high switching cost, and network effect. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So I, I kind of live with a theory that people are stupid. Payless opened a fake luxury store and they duped people into paying hundreds of dollars for shoes that cost 40 bucks. So they were selling them for 600 bucks, even though they bought them. You could buy them for 40 bucks. Bayless shoes aren't exactly synonymous with high fashion, but for one night in L.A. they were. I think that shows you how stupid people are. I don't understand why people pay $400 for shoes. I just don't do it. I, I don't get it. I get wearing a nice pair of Jordans. I get it. But $400, $800, $1,200 for shoes, I, I find it to be repulsive. I find those people to be first in line of the Darwinian wood chipper. And I'm thinking about you, Melania Trump, and your shoes. <laughs> and she's the only one I can point to because she's the high-profile president, first lady of the United States. I just think expensive shoes are stupid. What do you think is stupid, Tony? Shoes. Oh, well, come well, on. So you can't shoes. copy me. Um, 
Man, I want to say, say cars. I love cars, yeah. but uh, you know, there's. I mean, I, again, we run into a lot of clients that have massive car payments, and it just blows my mind. Some people don't qualify for some mortgages because of their car payments, and that just it just disturbs me. Yeah, and how often people CFP go to Chad cars? They says always the same thing. He says, it's amazing how many people can't fund a 401k, but can fund a $600 car payment. And you've got to fund the 401k first before you do the car payment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've always lived kind of by that. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I, you I, I just learned me when I had a, a vet. Yeah. The, the uh, Chevette. Right. right. And my yeah. license plate said my vet on it. And Corvette drivers would get angry at me because they thought I was mocking them. And I was. So I had a Chevette, which is just as nice as a Corvette, because it takes me back to my days. You know, you and I would go to Ocean City or we'd go to like different beaches and we'd drive up and down the, the strip and like we were motoring. We were like Sister Christian. We're, the car experience, it didn't matter if it was a Chevette or a Corvette. Chevette was paid for. It cost me $200 to buy it from my, pop, my father. Yep. It was also called the cancer car, <laughs> the cancer mobile, because he smoked cigarettes at it and it was disgusting. So Chad investment experiences for his family and motoring driving down a strip with your buddy maybe sipping on a little mad dog 2020 uh, so yeah it's called cruising by the way it's motoring if you're from detroit we're neither of us are from detroit okay that's Do you know fair. detroit's one of the hottest markets right now i know i know and you know who's um building detroit up big um, um the guy from the cleveland cavaliers dan gilbert yeah um, with Rocket Mortgage, which for the record, Rocket Mortgage is everywhere. And I've got, a, I've got a theory. If you see advertising everywhere, it's probably a bad deal. <laughs> Except for like you see Visa Halftime Show. And I'm like, invest in Visa. If I can invest in Rocket Mortgage, I would. Because that guy is buying all of Detroit. Dan Gilbert. So every time you, someone uses Rocket Mortgage and doesn't use you, a local guy, BarryLoanSource.com, they're basically <laughs> getting a free agent to Cleveland. Yeah, another like house being bought. Tom Monahan, sure. the guy who used to own Domino's, mm-hmm. owned the Detroit Tigers. I wouldn't eat Domino's pizza. I wouldn't pay for it because every time I did, I liked the Yankees growing up. And you I was thinking I'm buying a wrong team. I'm, sure. I'm supporting the Detroit Tigers. So. Uh, so are you saying that don't use Rocket Mortgage if you're a Warriors fan? Yes. There you go. All right. So, and man, the Warriors are starting to smell bad, aren't they? Yeah. There's something, there's no, something, no. there's something not good going on there. <laughs> Anyhow, let's move forward. Um, what's the steps in a home purchase? Do they still apply? Because you and I used to talk about, here's what you do to find a realtor. Here's what you do the first steps to buy a house. I feel like that's all gone out the window in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, no, it's not really changed that much. Um, there's well, a lot more technology I mean, involved. There's a lot, yeah, yeah. It's a lot easier to search for homes. A lot of people are foregoing you know, the, the, the stages of really building a relationship with the realtor. It's just more of a mechanism. Redfin's kind of changed that. Uh, I talk to Redfin agents all the time, and they, they, they sound like robots. They, it sounds like they're reading from a script. Okay. I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's okay. And, but but in, in a sense, though, if, if you've done all the work and you're just using an agent to save a little bit of money or get a better offer accepted um, for the seller, that is, and you just want to go through the motions with a professional company, that's fine. I mean, that's almost what you really want is someone who's not going to mess up because there's too you know too many you know too many hands you know in in the pot um too many emotions are involved and too many mistakes can be made um i'm not saying that i'm a robot but i've been doing this for a long time i've been financing for 19 years i've been in the bay area for uh 14 years so i i know the market very well i know all of the realtors that we work with well i know the processes that we work with and um i don't think it's changed as much as you think um i'd like to say that it's getting better 
Um, technology has really helped. I, I like where technology is going, um, but the, it's just like almost anything out there. There's too much to choose from. I don't know if you've noticed. It's like, where do you feel like you should go to get the right information about buying a house? Um, and there's just too much out there. Well, it's certainly not robots. It's not robots, but... You want processes in place. Um, you know, my son. I like large realty realty companies because they offer th- that kind of um, service that you you really want really? from a realtor. Yeah, I do. Okay, so I like a, an agent who's lived in that market their whole life. I, I like that, but with a, a company that and that I, has I would, the support behind it. I would prefer a frumpy looking real estate agent than a hot and sexy looking real estate agent. Um, you don't have to sell me with your looks or your car. I, when I started looking for uh, houses. You, you zero in on the neighborhood first, right? Um, well, that, you're, you're, you're making your point. You, you were just talking about Rocket Mortgage, for example, and why would you use that service just because they, they're advertising so much? You don't know what you're getting. Just because somebody's a really good advertiser doesn't mean they're a really good realtor. Yeah. Uh, and so so you, you can limit the risk by going with a, a, an established company, somebody who's been in, the biz, in that area for a long yeah. period of time. Um, what I don't... What I see often, and, I, and that hasn't changed or gotten better, is people using realtors from that are not from the area that they're buying, uh, and in some cases, large distances. Let, let me and, give you an example of that. The home that I bought eight, nine years ago, the realtor that the family, the, the lady was old. She had Alzheimer's. She was going into a home. Her kids, the house was in a trust. They bought it for 40000 It was now worth a million dollars. The realtor they hired was from, um, I think, Saratoga. Or maybe Los Gatos, who didn't know San Carlos was up and coming. It was going to become Palo Alto North. And she got taken. We, we, we played her. We gave an offer on Tuesday before Easter, and it was our house. Um, which yeah, only happened a, because that, she was out of she didn't know the market. That's a good example of how a realtor that knows the market will assist. Probably the, the last that house case. that went for under asking in all of California. And then you used a realtor that lived in the market right. and says, you know, this is a good deal. So yeah, you can see how realtors can play against each other and it may not have been the best advice for the seller, but um uh I all realtors the ones, even if they're out of the area, are trained and should be working under the same guidelines, uh, which is fine with me. The you know California Association of Realtors really kind of regulates all of this, and that's the Association of Realtors does the same. Yeah. So yeah. I don't like using rock and mortgage. I don't like using big firms. I like using someone who's human. Marina and the Diamonds sang a song called "I Am Not a Robot," and my kid loved it. And I'm a big fan of not using robots. Which is interesting because the mortgage industry still hasn't really gotten as robotic as it could. Um, well, that's kind of the whole point of answering your first question was how has it changed? And it hasn't gone towards that that automated mortgages, automated um, uh, buying and selling. It, it, I don't think it will. I'll roll. Ah! It's going to get there. Everything's going to become automated. Everything. Grocery shopping is. You can find Tony Mendez. He's still real and has blood and knows the local markets. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So in 2019, Coldplay played Saturday Night Live, and they played this song. 
it's mesmerizing the choreography they put together where they had people that looked like they were in the studio audience dancing it's pretty cool check it out um coldplay also said something kind of interesting recently they said they're not going to tour again until they could figure out how to save the planet while doing it cutting their footprint Things change. I never saw that one coming because I would have thought you two Rolling Stones and Coldplay would have gone on the big arena tours forever and ever and milked it as long as they could till they're in wheelchairs and died. TFP Chad Burton, let's talk about how sometimes things change and we have to go with it. Fewer concerts, greenhouse gases, things like that, planes. Does that tie into what you do and like even like self-employed? I got to imagine the rules are changing all the time. Yeah, well, well, hold on. First of all, I was actually in a crowd video for Bon Jovi in 1989. <laughs> Please tell more. <laughs> yeah, my, I remember my mom had won tickets to this uh, to the Bon Jovi concert, and part of it through this uh, radio station in Portland um, was you got to go see a pre-show. Okay, and so it was, they put everybody down below, so it looked like everything was full. But they filmed the Bon Jovi video, um, and we got to say we were in the crowd. It was pretty cool. Can we? pull up a Bon Jovi video and do a screen grab and put you on the I was, website? I was just trying to look at it. So it looks like K103.com has like a clip of that. I should, I want to go look for myself in it because I totally forgot about that until you said something. Brush with fame. So you were that close. You could have killed Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And history would have been changed forever. Definitely. Yeah. So Bon Jovi is a self-employed worker in America. He doesn't work for IBM or Microsoft or Apple. And working yeah. for Microsoft, Apple, and Google, they have great benefits. They got everything online. They, they, they do healthcare for you. They help you with 401ks. They help you with all that. The, the do-it-yourself a rock band guy or the do-it-yourself contractor in California, they don't have all that help, do they? No. And um, I love America because of entrepreneurship, right? It's, sure. I mean, it's amazing businesses are created. And when people take that leap to create something new and take all that risk, um, they give up a lot in the beginning to try to gain a lot later, and then they create jobs, and it and it feels really good. Um, but when people take that leap to say, I'm working for somebody, all too often they take that leap to go self-employed, and all they do is they end up being the, the employee plus the boss plus the bookkeeper, and you, they they don't realize that you have to make about 130% more than what you were earning working for somebody because you pay both half a FICA, that's called the self-employment tax. You don't have any 401k match. You don't have any disability insurance. You don't have any life insurance or health insurance. Um, so you really, if you're, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars a year being employed for somebody right now, you are going to be at a loss until you're earning over $130,000 a year self-employed. So you have to kind of keep that in mind. It's interesting. I was looking at the stats on self-employed. 15% of self-employed people don't ever save for retirement at all. 30% yeah. save from time to time and 55% say they save consistently. So there's going to be a problem when, when the, when the, the game ends, when you hit the, the goal line, so to speak, where mm -hmm. it, it, it's different being a self-employed employee and uh, give us some tips. Well, yeah. So businesses will go through these cycles, right? And, sure. and the, sometimes it's really hard to get a self-employed person to invest in really anything that's stock related because they're sitting there looking up like I've got 25, 30% revenue growth that's crushing the S&P 500. Why would I invest in anything else? So, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. A good Why question. would you? So there, you go through this cycle of you're building your business, you're building your business, you're barely making enough to, you know, 
pay expenses and your taxes. And then you get to a point where you finally have um, a decent income, but you're investing back into the business um, to continue to grow it. And then you can finally breathe a sigh of relief. You go, okay, now it's I've built an enterprise that can run itself. There's a book called E-Myth that every self-employed person should read. And then you finally have extra income over and above what you're investing back into the business. So you get, you know, sometimes it's your late fifties and all of a sudden you're socking massive amounts of money away into retirement accounts. So it's a cycle, but you still need to, even self-employed people need to really start that cycle of investing early on to create the liquidity offset risk that your business becomes worthless. Somebody comes in and does it better. Somebody comes in and invests something new or a better service or what you're doing is no longer relevant. What happens? You go from a lot of income and a business to a business that's worthless. So you have to create that liquidity on the side to get through that transition if that happens. I should mention that newfocusfinancial.com site you and I created has a lot of great content from your financial planners who have put together articles. Um, This is one of them. One of the... I would say naive things that I've done in the past chat is come up with simple statements. For instance, if you get married, having one partner, an entrepreneur who is self-employed and one partner who works for a big company is the best of both worlds because you get great health care, you get a good retirement. Like, am I wrong in simplifying it like that? You should look for a partner, not for love, but for practical reasons on saving for retirement. Well, yeah. And, and a partner is number one, a fiduciary. When it comes to financial planning, they don't sell products. They don't sell anything that makes them a commission. They provide advice and you pay for the advice. Um, so that's why certified financial planners are trading taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, and investing. Plus they're fee only and they'll put in writing that they're a fiduciary. That's a partner. It's interesting that you go that direction because I remember when I was learning about 401ks when I was getting into the industry because it was a, a kind of a unicorn. It was a dream of like, maybe one day I can get people's 401ks and that would be big money. But I got into it and I saw like the ERISA laws were kind of crazy and I, I can't do the retirement plans per se, like uh, the big corporate ones. Thoughts? Well, I, I kind of agree. I was managing quite a few 401k plans with another person. And then eventually when I started uh, New Focus Financial in 2004, I kind of said, here, you take those plans because I want to concentrate on wealth management and retirement planning. It's kind of two different styles of business. Um, but for going back to the self-employed, if you have employees, it's so easy now to create what's called a safe harbor 401k plan. Okay. In the past, you would be stuck with these insurance product annuity 401ks with super high fees and and you weren't really acting like a fiduciary for your employees, which you need to. And so now you can create these low cost safe harbor 401k plans where you're able to put as up to the maximum limits in as long as you had agreed to match simply like 3% of what your employees put in. Um, and if they don't put anything, you don't match. Um, and so if you have employees... A safe harbor, a low-cost safe harbor 401k plan are so cheap now to put into play. You don't have to go to insurance companies or your you know, buddy down the street that sells commission-based mutual funds to set these up. There's companies that do like robo-advisor options of the things. And then if you're self-employed, it's just you. You don't have any W-2 employees or it's just you and your spouse. The individual 401k, most people use the SEP because okay. their CPAs don't really know how to use the individual 401k properly. So the SEP IRA is because you go to your, your 
CPA at, after the year is over and you say, what can I do for last year? And the SEP IRA is the only thing you can do retroactively. If you're smart, you want maximum flexibility, you want a mega Roth option inside your plan, you do an individual 401k. They're almost always better for anybody with net income of under $300,000 to be looking at a SEP or is looking at an individual 401k instead of a SEP IRA. Let's say, and it can't be you and me, you and I started a business, but we were in the financial world, so we kind of knew a lot of this. But let's say um, a soccer mom starts a business, she gets on Shark Tank, it starts to grow. Who does Mm -hmm. she work with to come up with a self-employed retirement plan? Does she call Fidelity Vanguard, TD Ameritrade? Does she call a CPA? Does she call a CFP? Because you can't do it on your own. Because you're working a, CF, a CFP first, okay, and and then but the CPA has to be involved because look, here's the deal: we have this. You, you hear about this qualified business tax deduction that you have now of twenty percent. Here is what's really complicated when you're self-employed now. If you are qualifying for this deduction and you're self-employed, and you funnel money into a retirement account, depending on if you're set up as just a you know sole proprietor, LLC, Schedule C, or an S-Corp, you could actually be giving up the 20% deduction for every dollar you put into a SEP or an individual 401k. So you have to have advice to say, okay, should I put money in at all because of this 20% deduction? If I do, should I do it as a salary deferral into a pre-tax, a salary deferral into a Roth, an after-tax contribution that gets converted to a Roth, because everything you put in depends on how it affects your net income and your taxable income for your business and whether or not you qualify for the 20% deduction. So somebody puts in, if they're only at a 12% bracket individually and they put money into a a self-employed plan and that dollar only saves 12%, yet they give up a 20% deduction, you see what I mean, Rob? There's this round-robin calculation that has to be done. So it's more important now than ever for self-employed people to have a team of a certified financial planner that knows about all of this and then a CPA that can model the what ifs. And then you, everybody works together to get the right contribution amounts. So I have a question. There's a lot of blogs. There's a lot of events, seminars coming up. There's a lot of downloadable PDFs on retirement issues and investment issues at newfocusfinancial.com. How about old 401k plans? Because I know a lot of people in the Bay Area who've worked for Microsoft and they work for Apple and then they work. For, and so they've probably accumulated four or five 401k plans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One minute. And rolling those over, if you're self-employed, rolling that over into an individual 401k, you might have to file an annual 5,500 on it. But if you consolidate all that old stuff and all your old IRAs into that individual 401k, not only can you max out that individual 401k and get in, you know, sometimes 30 grand plus into the Roth side of it. But then you can also do Roth IRAs, the backdoor Roth IRA. A lot of options if you consolidate. Seminars, there's an event page, there's blogs, there's downloadables all at newfocusfinancial.com. CFP Chad Burton, I think is the, in my personal opinion, I'm really glad that I've met him because he explains the stuff super well. It's complicated. We're not educated on it. Educate yourself at newfocusfinancial.com. You'll learn more there. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money 
on AM 1220 KDOW. I miss my wife. So I grew up overseas, and because of that, it's it was never in a location that spoke English. It was always things like Japanese, German, and Turkish, Greek. And as a kid, you don't learn languages that fast. I mean, you can pick up some words, right? Some friends and family from the coast, which is what we refer to uh, people back in the United States, back on the coast, coastal side, would send cassette tapes. And this was one of the songs that, uh, a mixtape that would come through. And it's kind of funny because what they would do is they would tape uh, America's Top 40. And it was a countdown show. So uh, this is a song from my childhood that I loved. So I basically made my mom go out and get Finney and the Jets and Crocodile Rock and some of the albums that Elton John did. And just to show you how innocent times were then, I just thought he was a flashy dancer. I thought he wore cool clothes. I didn't know. I'm not going to tell you anything else. It's a 1970s song. Tells the story of an astronaut who's filled to the brim with mixed emotions about leaving his family and friends behind to embark on a mission to space. The lyrics were heavily inspired by a 1950s short story by Ray Bradbury called The Rocket Man. His story was about an astronaut who's torn between going to space and being with his family. Do you see the parallels? The astronaut in the short story tried to quit his job, his beloved job. Spend his time with his wife and his dog. Oh no, his kid. He had a kid named Doug, not a dog named Kid. Sometimes I get a little dyslexic on myself. But isn't that cool that we used to read short stories and turn them into songs and be inspired? I don't get the feeling people do that anymore. Now, during the times this came out, there was a big controversy. Did Elton John rip this off from David Bowie? Because David Bowie had Space Oddity. I know you're saying, you were a pretty messed up kid. Thank you very much. So, one of the areas changing back to money. Money, do re me. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, one of the things I hate to see is people work till age 50, 55, 60. They leave a job. <coughs> I think I got the black lung. Um, they work that long and they have a big chunk of change. A quote-unquote nest egg. Um, what I don't want to see is an insurance person come up to you and say, Well, there, Dougie, it's good to see you, Dougie. I happen to be an insurance salesperson, and I see that you have $400,000 cash. <coughs> I can turn that into an annuity for a lifetime. You'll get money until you die. Stay away from those people. There's a guy who buys a ton of radio spots on the sports station in the Bay Area. I'm not going, he's not my, he's not a fan of mine because he sells crap product for lack of a better word, crap. And the markups are like typically like 9%. So you do the math. Is he going to make that product sound really, really good? 
Are you going to be able to make money having taken a 9% pie in the face? No. So some people, they leave work and they've got this big nest egg and they don't know what to do with it. You tend to roll it over. You tend to hire a CFP to help you with advice if you can't do it yourself. I see a lot of people make mistakes when they quit working. They instantly jump into Social Security when you should analyze whether you should jump into Social Security. If you haven't saved enough and you're in pretty good health, you should probably delay Social Security. If you've saved enough, go ahead and take it. It's not free money. It's, it's, it's money that you that the government took from you and in theory invested for you, but we all know that's not true. Um, so let's say I'm 60 and I quit my job and I've got $200,000 saved. That's not enough. If I'm going to live 20 years, I could live off $10,000 a year. No, 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 no. So I'm going to delay social security as long as I can. So nice the lo- work. Thank you. If you take it at 62, you actually get punished it a little bit. If you take it at 65, you get what you consider the, the, the norm. If you wait till 70, every year you wait, you get more money. 8% returns. It's not bad. So, but again, if you've already had a stroke and you've had cancer and you're 60, you might want to take that money. I get it. But then again, I hope you don't beat the odds because there's nothing worse than having survived a stroke, survived cancer, and then running out of money. So right now, there's a big push by our Congress to potentially change your 401k into a pension. Now, that's... I'm glad they're talking about it, but there's risks to it. Unless additional investor protections are added to the bill, retirement savers could be exposed to costly and opaque insurance products, plus concerns about insurance companies' financial health. So, you know, a lot of companies used to give long-term, they used to sell long-term health care insurance, and they found out that they were going bankrupt because people were living a long time and using that, that insurance. So be very, very cautious with this idea. But I do like countries that make their citizens automatically save for retirement. I wish we would do that as a nation. Say you get a tax break automatically, maybe a tax credit. For every $500 you save, we'll give you $500 off your income tax. Something like that to get people motivated to save, I think would be a great thing through their 401k or 403B sponsored plans. I know you're saying, how are we going to pay for that? Why are the rich getting richer? I get it. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, and YouTube, Rob Black Show. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.